Let us read responsively together Lord's Day 19, starting with question and answer 50. Why the next words, and sits at the right hand of God? Christ ascended to heaven there to show that he is head of his church, the one through whom the Father governs all things. How does this glory of Christ our head benefit us? First, through his Holy Spirit, he pours out gifts from heaven upon us, his members. Second, by his power, he defends us and preserves us from all enemies. How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? In all distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and remove the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. And now the reading of God's word from Psalm 110. Psalm of David, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your day of battle, arrayed in holy majesty. From the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He will drink from the brook beside the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. The word of the Lord, may he add his blessing to it as we consider it together this evening. So as we are making our way through the Heidelberg Catechism, we're in that section where it's explaining for us the different articles that are found in that faithful, concise summary of what we believe, the Apostles' Creed, and we've come to that part which deals with Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realm. So what does it mean, first of all, uh, that he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Uh, what, what is it referring to by saying the right hand of God the Father Almighty? Well, first of all, it does not mean that God has a physical right hand. As we know, God is spirit. That is, he is without parts. He is not made of different parts like us. Uh, therefore, this is what we call anthropomorphic language. So it's speaking of God using language that we would use to describe another person because God, through his word, speaks to us kind of like in baby talk so that we have an understanding of the majesty and the beauty and the simplicity of who he is. And so by referring here to the right hand of God, it's referring to that position of power and prestige alongside God the Father. Now, Since most people throughout human history are right-handed and not left-handed, that means that they accomplish most of their significant tasks with their right hand. And so also a king 
Uh, back in the day, and even today, rulers uh, sign and seal royal decrees with their right hands. And so, too, they would lift up the royal scepter in their hand, a special staff, which was a symbol of their authority and power that they held. And so this position of at the right hand is, is referring to that position of power and authority and prestige alongside the Father. It also comes, we find in the Old Testament, the first instance of this sitting at the right, right hand of a king uh, occurs in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. Kind of an interesting story where after King David's death, we find King Solomon is ruling and reigning now in his father's place. And when his mother, Bathsheba, went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah, who was requesting for the, a wife of his, uh, the king stood up to meet her, that is Bathsheba, bowed down to her and sat down on his throne. He had a throne brought for the king's mother and she sat down at his right hand. It's fascinating, right? So King Solomon, we find that he honored his mother for her wisdom and gave her that privilege to sit alongside him, beside him to help him rule over the nation. He he admired her. He cherished her. He liked having her beside him to help him rule. We know him as wise, and it's probably true that he learned a lot of godly wisdom from his mother. But the point here is seeing that example of what it means to sit at the right hand of another, the right hand of the king. And so too, the son of God uh, has been raised after his resurrection and seated in that privileged position of power and authority beside God the Father. But here's a question. Wasn't that always true of the Son of God? Wasn't he always at the right hand of the Father? And the answer is yes. Yes, he always was. So what is the difference now? Well, the difference is that now he is there at the right hand of the Father in our human nature for us as our mediator. So after his ascension, for the first time ever, a true human was seated in this highest position of honor and glory. We can think of it as Christ bringing our human nature, raising our human nature to its highest degree of possible glory with the promise that we too will rise with him on the last day to rule over all of the new creation, including over the angels, the author of Hebrews says. So before, the Son of God was our maker, but now he is also our mediator. Before, he stood as our sovereign king, but now he also stands as our savior in the sacrifice for our sins. Before, he sat as our judge, but now he sits there as our justifier. This is good news for us. Good news that Christ now sits at the right hand of the Father in our human nature as our mediator. So by coming to us in his incarnation and then going there for us, we now have the guarantee at the right hand of the Father that we too will go and be with him for where the king goes, so goes his people. Where the head is, so the body will soon follow. So Christ's victory over death and his ascent up into glory has secured for us our own victory over death and our own ascent into glory with him. By faith, we are found in him and we belong to him forevermore. And so that is a great comfort that we have here from Christ's royal session for us.
Now, why am I saying session? Well, the term session comes from the Latin sessio, which is to be seated, seated. This is his royal session now as head of the church, our mediator and our high priest. He is the king of kings ruling until God enables him to make every opposing force subject to his power and authority. So that in the end, every knee will bow before Jesus and recognize him as the king of kings. If we look back at Psalm 110, we see that this implies, right, that Christ was to be seated as king over all things and begin ruling with ongoing opposition. So verse one says, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, again, in verse two, it shows us this as well. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. And that is what is happening now, what has happened since uh, the resurrection and ascension of Christ, that the Lord is extending the borders, so to speak, of Christ's kingdom to encompass all the earth, bringing all things under his royal rule, bringing all the elect into his fold. Uh, But this is also done, we see, in the midst of his enemies. As we saw last week, his kingdom is already inaugurated. It has begun, it has started, but it is not yet consummated. So we are still waiting for him to return when he will bring all of his enemies, the very last enemies, to be fully destroyed and under his feet. That is the devil and death itself, which is the last enemy to be destroyed. And this is a great comfort for us as well as we live this life in the midst of our own enemies, in the midst of the enemies of Christ in this world. And as we face all kinds of persecution and opposition for our faith in Christ, we have this comfort that Christ is ruling and that he will win in the end. Justice will be had. He will make all things Right, And so all the evil and atrocities that we see around us, we have the confidence that Christ sees it and he will bring full justice in the end. Now, if we look back at our text in Psalm 110, verse 3 speaks of the promise from the Father that Christ's people will be made willing to serve him in holy majesty and holy splendor. This is referring to the equipping of the saints, the equipping of Christians by the Holy Spirit of God who comes to strengthen and prepare us for service in Christ's kingdom here on earth. Now, what Psalm 110 that we're looking at does not make clear for us is how exactly does Jesus do this? And we find that answer in a text like Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 13. So I invite you to turn there. Ephesians 4, 7 to 13. We considered this not too long ago when we made our way through Ephesians, but we'll see it again tonight. This refers in the beginning of his ascension into glory and then what he has now given the church. That's found on page 1,821 of our Pew Bibles. So starting in verse 7 of chapter 4, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And Paul is expounding upon Psalm 68 here. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? 
He who descended, that is, he who in his incarnation came for us, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So with this, in this passage, we see and find how Christ has and does uh, equip his people to serve in holy splendor in his kingdom. And he has given us these gifts from heaven that he sends by the Holy Spirit. And the gifts are gifts of men that he emphasizes here. They are the officers in the church of Christ, uh, the apostles first and the prophets and pastors and evangelists, etc. These are word-related offices, those who are tasked with the study and the preaching of God's word. And so for us today, that means ministers and also elders as well. Um, So what is the purpose of ministers and elders? One of the purposes we find here clearly is to equip God's people for godly service to each other. That's the task, to train you all so that we can serve well Christ and serve one another all the more until we reach the full unity and faith, becoming mature, stable, and secure in our convictions, reflecting the image of Christ. And we look back at verse 16, it says, from Christ, the whole body, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So that was verse 16, a little bit lower down. What we find from that is that the body of the church grows up and builds itself up in love when each and every part of the church is doing work, is serving using their gifts. So every member of the body of Christ ought to be using their own gifts that they've received to serve one another, speaking the truth in love. And we think about how God the Father gave us his one and only Son, and the Son has given us the very Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God gives us the gifts of the Spirit to serve one another. And the people that are here with us tonight And with us on the Lord's Day that are members of our church, those who sit in the pews beside you week in and week out, they are Christ's gift to you, to love you, to help build you up, to challenge you, to sharpen you, to make us all together mature in Christ. As we've been considering on Friday nights, we need each other. A Christian alone is a Christian in trouble. And so Christ has given us the church and given us one another with the gifts of the Spirit to build one another up to make us prepared to serve with holy splendor, as Psalm 110 was saying. So we we each have gifts from Christ given to us by the Spirit. As the Heidelberg Catechism says on that point, it's not only the ministers who receive gifts. No, all of us, us, it says, all members of Christ's church have gifts to use in service for God to build up the church Uh, This is another benefit, loved ones, that we receive from Christ's ascension and his royal session at the right hand of the Father. Now, as we return back to Psalm 110, I invite you to find it again, Psalm 110. In verse 4, we find that Jesus' royal session is not just kingly. It's not just as a king, but it is also priestly. 
He is a priest forever, our great high priest, whoever lives to make intercession for us by a constant appeal to the virtue, the value of his blood that was shed for us to atone for our sins. And God is saying here, he will not change his mind. Think of that. He will not change his mind about this. Jesus will represent us in love perfectly before the Father for all of eternity onwards. What a great comfort that is. This is God's solemn oath and promise for us. And God's word and his character are unchangeable constants. As we sang earlier, great is thy faithfulness. We, we consider there's no shadow of change with God. And there's no greater thing for God to appeal than to himself. And so that means that he has forgiven us by the blood of Jesus and he will never change his mind about that. That's his good news. That is good news for us to consider. And Jesus' priestly session at the Father's right hand assures us of God's constant, unchangeable, steadfast love toward us in him. Lastly, we find in the verses 5 to 7 of Psalm 110, the promise that Christ, our King, will come again to judge the living and the dead. He will come to bring full and final justice, crushing the wicked kings and the leaders of this world who rule with injustice, who will commit all kinds of atrocious things. And we could list a number of things, but we know that that is true but we know as well that Christ will come and judge the living and the dead. And verse seven is especially promising and comforting to us where it says he will drink from a brook along the way and so he will lift his head high. The imagery here is fascinating. It's of a king after a battle stooping down to take a drink from a river. You don't do that in the heat of a battle. Why not? If you're in the midst of a battle and there are swords, you know, clashing against one another and bows and arrows flying through the air, you don't stoop down to take a drink. You need to be standing at the ready with your shield up and your sword ready. The fact that he is stooping down to take a drink means that he is in a place of peace as one who has conquered each and every foe. He has no fear that someone's going to come and attack him from behind because he has already conquered and is victorious. And so that is the comfort and assurance for us that we have this confidence that Christ in the end will conquer every foe and he will triumph for us and he will be victorious in justice. And this is a great comfort as the Heidelberg plainly says it for us that in all distress and persecution with uplifted head, that's what an encouraging thing. We should go through life with uplifted head as we think of Christ's victory for us and have that confidence as we walk about knowing that he rules and reigns and will come again. We should lift up our heads with that confidence, that hope that we have in him. And I confidently await the very judge who already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and removed the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the joy and glory of heaven. I love that one section in the middle there where he's helping us, uh, Zacharias Ursinus or, or, uh, or here, the author of the Heidelberg, helping us comfort us with the reality that the final judgment is not something that we are to fear. Why? Because Christ already came to take the judgment for us. He was condemned in our place on the cross. 
right? And so we have the confidence that he will not cast us away with all of his enemies. He will not cast us away. Why? Because he was forsaken for us on the cross in our place. Rather, we have this confidence, this assurance that he will take us with him into himself, into the everlasting joy and glory of his kingdom consummated, which is our ultimate hope. This is a joy and a comfort to us, but only if you belong to Jesus by faith, by true saving faith in him. Only if you too have bowed your knee to the King of Kings, Jesus, and recognize him as your Lord and your Savior. Savior. It is only a comfort to those who trust in him. And so I want us to conclude with this reminder and call to saving faith that we find in Romans 10, where it says this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, that is, Jesus is the King of Kings. He rose from the dead. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's coming again. He is Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead for you, right? You will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. And so trust in him and you will not be put to shame on that day with simple faith in Christ because of what he has done for sinners like us. Instead, he will atone for your sins by your faith in him, and he will cover you in his righteousness so that you can stand with confidence both now and on that day of his return, the day of judgment, the day of the Lord, knowing and believing that as the scripture says, anyone who believes in him, Everyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Instead, you will be honored and received into the kingdom of God because of what Christ has done, his death, his sacrifice, his resurrection, his ascension, and his coming back is for sinners like you and like me. So trust in him and lift up your head in that confidence of his victory for us. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this great comfort that Christ is seated at your right hand, uh, not only as the Son of God, but also as a Son of Man, ruling and reigning in his royal priestly session for us as our mediator, our redeemer, our King and our Savior. Lord, we do ask that you would equip us by your Spirit, continue to give us gifts and help us fan into flame those gifts to serve you in holy splendor, and serve you in your church, even in the midst of great opposition, trusting that Christ will come again to judge the living and the dead, and trusting that we already stand before you justified, accepted, and loved, not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done for us. Lord, give us that confidence that we might go about our days with uplifted heads, with confidence, and with hope in Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.